0: So you're above a healthy weight
1: and you have osteoarthritis. We've spoken before about the importance of losing weight as it relates to your symptoms. But does it matter for the underlying disease, the structural change associated with osteoarthritis, whether it be for either the development of osteoarthritis or the risk of it progressing structurally? There are lots of studies out there that have demonstrated improvements in pain and function and quality of life. But many of those studies have struggled to demonstrate whether weight loss also improves the disease, the structure that you have in osteoarthritis. Now, because as a community, we're growing larger, increasing numbers of us are overweight or obese. This topic is really important, both at an individual level, but also at a societal level. And as particularly we're thinking about prevention of disease, it's really important we Really target and focus down on this such important risk factor. So, on this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Zubia Salas, and he talks about this really important topic, which has been the focus of his own research. Hello, Zub, and welcome to the show. Thank you, David. It's my pleasure to have you along and really looking forward to this conversation because I think it's such an important topic for our listeners. But before we get into the main content of the day, I'm just wondering if you can share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day might look like.
2: So I'm a researcher with the focus on the weight loss and osteoarthritis at the University of New South Wales. I am a, actually a PhD student and just finished my PhD thesis and waiting to be examined at the moment. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> it was a hard work, but i uh, have worth it. And my thesis is actually is on the topic we're going to talk about today the impact of weight loss on the structural changes on the antipostal So, my background is actually another uh, med- medical background. I am actually a computer engineer, and I've been in the IT industry for long time before I started I switched to medical research and uh, my background is handy because in my research I'm, I use my IT background extensively. I spend most of my days on analyzing data, conducting and designing studies, collaborating with researchers all around the world, reading a lot of materials. So it's, it's a dynamic life and that keeps me intellectually stimulated.
1: Wonderful. Thanks, Sue. And what made you switch from the IT background to medical research?
2: It wasn't rewarding anymore. And I was always interested on medical topics and I came to a point and yeah, I just decided to make a huge shift and I'm glad I did. So I hope I can actually uh, inspire some people who wants to make some life or lifestyle changes in their life. It's never too late.
1: No, it's never, never, ever too late. And uh, applaud you for doing so. Now, Zub, when you're not doing your day job, what is it that you like to do?
2: I enjoy swimming and I'm part of a swimming club, which we regularly swim three, four times a week. And I like walking Exploring the natural beauty of uh, Australia. I also like reading. I like diving into the um, latest scientific literature uh, or a, a captivating knowledge. And to wind down, so that's my little secret, is I often watch funny videos, including the uh, cat videos. Wonderful, Zub. Now, Zub, really interested to hear
1: that you're a, a swimmer. Now, is this ocean swimming, pool swimming? mindful of some of the sea creatures that people in Western Australia keep company with.
2: You are right. It's a pool swimming. I'm I'm very aware of the, especially the sharks. I'm, I'm really scared of that. I right. do participate in ocean carnivals, ocean swimming carnivals, although I'm terrified.
1: Yeah. For those of you who are unfamiliar, obviously um, Zoob lives in Western Australia in Perth and particularly, I think during the month of October, They have a predilection for having a reasonable number of great whites cohabitate with the humans in the ocean. And from time to time, unfortunately, someone comes off second best. Now, Zub, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be?
2: I'm a curious person. That will be the first thing that comes to my mind. And I'm also dedicated. If I have something in my mind, I really go for it. And that's also brings me to the other point, it's I'm a persistent person. Some people may call it stubborn, but yeah, well, <laughs> I'll use the word persistent. And I'm compassionate, and I'm analytical, and it's not surprising coming from IT background and the researcher, I'm quite an analytical person.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you had to pick a number of different qualities that would suit someone getting involved in medical research, I think some of those are really important you know, particularly the um, being persistent. I say this to my kids on a regular basis. I think, you know, know, one of the most important qualities they can have in life is probably that of both resilience, but also continued application, particularly when they fight against obstacles that they didn't otherwise perceive to be happening at the time. Now, Zub, before I go off and pontificate on topics that are relevant to what the listeners will be really interested in, obviously want to get into what we're talking about today. And as as you mentioned, you know, the major focus of what you've been working on is really looking at the impact of weight loss in osteoarthritis, particularly as it relates to both development and progression. But just wondering, is your work pertaining to uh, largely to knee osteoarthritis or do you also have an interest in hip and hand osteoarthritis as well? And do the findings that you have relate to all three areas?
2: Yeah, it covers this uh, hand and hip osteoarthritis as well not only knee osteoarthritis and the paper we're going to talk about was specifically for knee osteoarthritis but my other researches were conducted on the hand and hip osteoarthritis as well
1: yeah i'm just wondering if you could just sort of briefly go into what the impact of weight loss is on osteoarthritis from either your own research or the background literature, but we'll obviously get into your own paper in greater detail in a minute.
2: Sure. So start with the new one is quite clear and straightforward, In it, I guess. So from the structural changes perspective, excess weight is associated with the structural changes of making the uh, structural changes worse in knee osteoarthritis. And my research and other researchers also found that the weight loss actually benefits with the uh, structural changes on the knee osteoarthritis. So to, uh, to slow or delay the progression of the disease. When I say disease, the am uh, referring to structural changes. And for hip and hand, I'll start with the hip. So excess weight is uh, also associated with the hip osteoarthritis so one will hope that weight loss also translates with the beneficial effects of the structural changes in hip osteoarthritis however in my research and from other researchers that it's not the case we haven't found yet an association between weight loss and or any weight change with the structural changes in hip osteoarthritis so that's that's on the structural changes on the hip post For the for the pain, for the symptoms, pain and functions, there is no clear association yet. But however, there is some suggestions. There might be some benefits of weight loss on the hip pain in particular. So there is some suggestions, but the research continues, including my research. I'm, I'm doing a research on that. We have seen people who lost. Weight. We have seen some changes in their pain scores. Overall, it actually reduced the on average scores over a period of six months. So there are some research suggests that excess weight also associated with hand osteoarthritis. So that's quite interesting because we do not walk on our hands. So it can't be the excess weight causing the stress on the hands. It might be related to some metabolic changes. So we looked at the weight loss association with the hand osteoarthritis, we haven't seen any association for the structural changes and also for the pain development or pain relief over four years. However, the caveat is for the hand osteoarthritis, the cohort we investigated, the excess weight wasn't associated with hand osteoarthritis in that cohort. So if we investigated in another study in a cohort where obesity, or excess weight is associated with hand osteoarthritis, maybe we could have seen it. So, so there are more researches required on this area.
1: Wonderful, thanks, Ube. and I guess just to briefly briefly recap, starting with hand osteoarthritis. So there there is, as you suggested, some really interesting evidence from largely observational studies suggesting that obesity is associated with both an increased risk of the development of hand osteoarthritis, but also symptoms in hand osteoarthritis. And as you intimated, it's probably not due to mechanical loading, but likely due to circulating inflammatory molecules that occur in the context of someone who carries excess weight. Likewise for hip osteoarthritis, largely data from, again, observational studies, so not not from randomized trials at this point in time, again, suggesting a relationship between excess weight and risk of developing osteoarthritis and symptoms. But again, conflicting data around the impact of weight loss on symptom change and structural change. Um, and we'll we'll get into the knee osteoarthritis literature in a second when we talk about your study. But before we do that, you know, there are a lot of clinical trials out there on weight loss for knee osteoarthritis, that have demonstrated improvements in symptoms, so pain and function, largely using self-report for pain and function. But to date, at least from a trial perspective, as distinct from you know looking at observational study data, there isn't a lot of evidence to support that weight loss has an effect on structure in knee osteoarthritis. Why do you think there is that discord between? symptoms and structure in the context of trials
2: that is correct david and that was quite interesting point as well so for our paper i had to do uh, quite a bit digging for that as well so i came up with about four reasons for that if i can summarize so short answer is the sample size duration methodologic reasons and the weight loss amount that played role so if I just expand a bit more, I'll start with the sample size. So some studies measured joint space width using X-ray outcome. So this is a bit problematic because inaccuracies and inconsistencies can happen when measuring joint space using X-ray. So that's due to the positioning of the patient or the X-ray machine. So for instance, any may not be the exact same angle or position each time when the x-ray is taken. So that can lead to differences in measurements so that they can potentially mask the changes induced by weight loss. What it means is that you need a lot of participants needed to overcome these variations and detect a reliable change. So that's for the x-ray perspective. So what about the studies using more sensitive technologies such as uh, MRI, which is magnetic resonance imaging. So there are studies measured the cartilage degeneration using MRI. They also didn't find any effect of weight loss in these trials. So that could be due to the time it takes for these structural changes to manifest on the knee joint. So those RCTs investigated cartilage degeneration using MRI. They lasted about 12 to 18 months so that may not be enough to observe the changes, structural changes on the knee joint. So another problem is methodological problems. So some studies use the bone marrow lesions. So these are the bone marrow lesions, the areas of bone beneath the cartilage and they use MRI again but they couldn't find an effect of weight loss so, the, the problem, I guess, with the, with these, the, as the methodological problems, they use the scoring systems usually graded between zero and three to assess the severity of these changes of the bone marrow. So, that might not be granular enough between zero and three, for example. So, you probably needed more multiple types of MRI sequences to accurately assess the bone marrow lesions so that's i will think this other problem and the last problem is i think the weight loss amount so weight loss effect or the association it's a modest effect so you need a large or relatively large amount of weight loss to to detect these changes so for example a substantial weight loss required about like 10% weight loss or more to to observe the changes in the pain and functions. But for these studies, they didn't include enough participants. They lost 10% or more in their studies. So it's really difficult to find the detected the changes in these trials.
1: That's really helpful, Zubin. And I guess just to communicate that last point, For a 10% weight loss, which is what was shown in Steve Messier's idea trial, for example, to lead to about a 50% improvement in symptoms, that 10% weight reduction would be in the order of, for a 100 kilo person, 10 kilograms, or for someone who weighs 220 pounds, about 22 pounds. So just, just to give you a sense of the magnitude of what that weight loss would be, that might be concordant with what Zub just said there about... Being a large enough amount, now Zub, let's let's get into the paper that you published. Tell us a little bit about the design in the first instance before we get into the results. I know you looked at a few different observational studies, but just tell us briefly about those studies and what measures you took from them.
2: So that particular study, we're uh, talking about, so we used three prospective cohort studies. So they they were, Osteoarthritis Initiative study from the USA and multi-center osteoarthritis study. That's also from the USA. And the cohort hip and cohort knee study from the Netherlands. The particular significance of these studies: they were all, the departments all were with or at risk of clinically significant knee osteoarthritis. So that they were the right cohort for our study. So we had total about 9,000 participants. So those participants were between 45 to 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 79 years old. Our exposure was the change in BMI, not weight. The reason for that, because one of the studies didn't have the weight data, but only the BMI data. So we use uh, BMI, change in BMI. And that's change in BMI from baseline to follow-up of four or five years. So in terms of the outcomes, we had primarily two outcomes. We looked at the incidence of the structural defects of knee and progression of the structural defects of knee So these outcomes we assessed by radiography and the needs or the changes uh, on the outcomes, they graded using the methodology called Calgran lawrence commonly abbreviated as KL grade. So for the audiences, KL grade is between zero and four. Zero indicates there is no osteoarthritis and four indicates severe knee osteoarthritis. So the incidence simply means having a knee osteoarthritis, which is determined as a KL grade of two or more at four or five year follow-up while not having the knee osteoarthritis at baseline. So progression we defined on the other hand, is having a new osteoarthritis at baseline. So that's again, KL grade 2 or more. And that getting worse at the four or five year follow-up assessed by one or more increased KL grades.
1: So again, just to confirm, the incidence was defined based on the x-ray. And likewise, the progression was defined based on the x-ray at four to five years. And just to I guess, let everybody know the body, the BMI is body mass index. So that's height over weight squared. So it's at least in metric system, it's kilograms per meter squared. And for someone who's of normal weight, again, depending upon race, that would typically be in the order of about 20 to 25. Overweight is 25 to 30 and obese is above 30. Uh, So just to give you a sense of where we're going with some of the numbers that Zub will probably relate to, in a second, as it relates to changes in body
2: mass index. Yeah, thanks for also describing what are the BMI threshold levels for overweight and and uh, obesity or normal weight. So maybe I, uh, if I could add to that one, because we're going to use use that. What is one BMI unit change? So one BMI unit loss that translates about for a typical person about one seventy one meter 70 centimeter, centimeter high so one bmi unit decrease in one bmi unit that truss is about 2.9 kilogram so our, our listeners should bear in mind that stacks like about three kilogram weight loss so what we found is a decrease in bmi between baseline and four years follow-up was statistically significantly associated with both for both outcomes, which were the instance and the progression of stress, effects of neosteroiditis. So we found that each one unit decrease in BMI, that's the one I just talked about, that's about 2.9 kilogram for 1.70 centimeter, 1 meter and 70 centimeter person, was associated about approximately 5% reduction in the incidence and progression of structural defect of neostratatus during that 4 or 5 years follow up so it might seem a bit you know modest but it's actually it quite translates to quite significant um, impact so that's if you lose about 5 unit decrease in bmi which takes you from overweight category bmi category to normal weight category so that translates about a 25% reduction in the instance and progression of the uh, structural effects of the osteoarthritis. So
1: Zub, so 5% reduction in risk of developing osteoarthritis and 5% reduction in its likelihood of progression with a one unit change of body mass index for about three kilograms. But when you look across a population, what is the estimate there? as opposed to for the individuals that you found there in this particular study, when you've looked at the attributable fraction in a population?
2: Sure. So in the population level, so that's one unit decrease in the population. That includes the all participants in the population, that's um, whether uh, normal weight, overweight, or obese. So for example, for the incidence one, for about 13% of the incidence of neostroarthritis, and about 10% for the progression.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful because obviously, you know, we're, we're talking to individuals, but at least at a population level, I think it's important to make that distinction. And so at an individual level, and again, if I'm just conveying, hopefully what you just said, Zub, for each one unit reduction in body mass index, so about three kilograms, you should expect about a 5% reduction reduction in risk of developing osteoarthritis and or its progression if you already have the disease. If you apply the intervention across a whole population, the effects appear to be somewhat better uh, than potentially just would be at an individual level. So about 10% reduction in risk for each one body mass index unit. Is that fair?
2: Uh, for the progression, about 10%, Yep. Yeah. And for the incidence, about 13%, Yep. yeah.
1: yeah. So you know, I think it really argues strongly for the importance of population level of public health interventions that get applied for osteoarthritis, particularly in our communities, which by and large are gaining weight for a whole range of different reasons. And so, potentially, there's opportunities here for us to do this at a at a societal level, not necessarily just at an individual level.
2: That's correct, and as you know, the economic burden. Of osteoarthritis, in particular, knee osteoarthritis, it's huge in developed countries, including Australia. Thirteen percent incidence reduction in the incidence of knee osteoarthritis. So that transfer for Australia. We looked at it; it's it's quite a lot of savings. So that's as high as five hundred million dollar saving.
1: No, I agree, and you know, I think the um the arguments here, you know, obviously both at an individual level, as far as Improvements in pain and function, improvements in joint health longer term, but you know, at a societal level, there is huge benefits here as far as quality of life, productivity, employment, and as you just mentioned, potentially savings. Now, the savings that you're referring to there, Zubay, and just to give people a sense, so you know, depending upon what you read, uh, in many countries around the world, the cost of osteoarthritis is about 2% of gross domestic product. In Australian dollar terms, that varies depending upon what you're reading, but you know some estimates suggest upwards of about four to five billion dollars a year on direct costs, and about twenty billion dollars a year on what we call indirect costs. A direct costs are costs on health service utilisation, and indirect costs are costs on largely productivity through reduced employment. The cost that you're referring to there, Zub, when it relates to five hundred million dollars, is that per year?
2: Yeah, direct cost, but that doesn't include the productivity loss, like not going to work and that kind of things, so or taking leaves, and that that's not counted.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's profound. So you know, the arguments around not doing this at a societal level don't make a lot of fiscal sense. They don't make a lot of sense for the individuals and the communities involved. And so I, you know, I guess the the decision makers, the policy makers, the people in government who are holding back on important policy announcements related to getting the community to lose weight, really need to think about who they're serving. Now, again, this may be a little bit beyond the direct findings of the work that you've done, but is there any sense as to whether the differences that you see for weight loss on structure are different between the prevention of disease, so the stopping the development of disease, or it's modification through impacting progression. Do you get a sense that one effect of weight loss is better here than the other?
2: Not from the statistical perspectives, by looking at the numbers, we didn't really see one is better than the other. However, progression is always better than cure.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, you know, I think irrespective of whether you've got osteoarthritis or you're at risk of doing so, if you're above a healthy weight, it, behoves you to go out and try to lose weight because it has a big meaningful effect for the individuals who are affected. And again, just a quick plug. So with my close colleague and friend, Steve Messier from Wake Forest University in the US, we're planning to do a prevention study coming up relatively soon that's being funded by the NIH, the US Arthritis Foundation and a number of other funding bodies. So really looking forward to that, albeit the results will be Number of years away before we're able to promote and publicize that, but we'll be uh, recruiting for that relatively soon. So, is there anything else you wanted to particularly say about uh, your study and in particular before I go on with just a couple of closing questions?
2: I do actually, I think for our listeners. So, we have two findings. One is we found the dose response association between vectors and structural changes. So, what it means, two things basically. So even the, as we mentioned, 1% decrease in the BMI unit that provides benefits, right? right? So we, we mentioned that, you know, you need a high amount of weight loss in order to achieve higher benefits, but that listeners shouldn't think that, oh, I have to lose a lot of weight, otherwise I'm not going to gain benefit. That's not the case from structural perspective, what we saw. So even the losing the 1%, that helps, every bit helps when it comes to losing weight or any any prevention of the weight gain, that still helps as well. So in contrast, of course, the higher amount of weight loss um, that deals with better results. So you should aim for more, but don't think that, oh, I lost a little bit weight and that doesn't count. That's not the case, every bit counts. The other finding we found that may come as maybe controversial for some, that we found the benefit of weight loss not only for people with within overweight and obesity BMI range, so it's not only for BMI 25 and more, we found people in the normal weight also can benefit when it comes to structural changes of neostrata, they can benefit from the weight loss as well. So... If you are a otherwise healthy person and then you are under the you know um, doctor guidance, um, so and if you are a bit in on the high end, close to twenty five BMI, and having a problems with osteoarthritis, you may want to discuss with your doctor. So it may benefit you.
1: I think that's a really important point, and you know one thing that I hadn't necessarily seen before is that the benefits of weight loss in people who start at a normal weight. So, you know, as as you say, I think for people that have symptomatic disease in their joints who are in the normal weight category, there potentially is still some benefit to be gained by a modest degree of weight loss. The, I think the first point you made is really, really valuable. And so, you know, any little bit of weight loss helps for those who are above a healthy weight, but the more the better. And so that, you know, that dose response has now been shown Pretty consistently in a f- in a few different studies. So Zub, just I guess just in uh, in closing, some insights that I hope you'll be able to gain, largely for me, but also hopefully for our listeners. Why do you do what you do? What's your primary motivation?
2: Well, my primary motivation is the to know that you know my work can impact people's lives. It can improve people's lives, and could one day maybe hopefully alleviate the pain and improve the quality of life for millions of arthritis patients. So that really gets me out of bed every day with big excitement. And I have just been awarded with a a Swiss government scholarship and uh, I will be heading to Geneva, Switzerland in a few months. I'll be collaborating with researchers in the University in Geneva. We are going to do uh, a project. We try to match the right rheumatology medicines with the right people.
1: Another really, really important area. So good luck with that. And I hope the uh, the transition goes smoothly. In closing, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people that have osteoarthritis?
2: Definitely. So the knowledge is power. So it will serve as a reminder for our listeners that the importance of education in improving health outcomes. So get educated. Just talk to your doctor, talk to your health professionals. That's the best thing to do for yourself.
1: Great way to close, you know, and hopefully the podcast itself is a great way for disseminating knowledge and people increasing their level of understanding of this really complex disease. So thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us today, uh, for sharing the insights from the important work that you've done and good luck with all of the future work that you're doing.
2: Thank you, David. Thanks for inviting me again.
1: So if you're wondering about losing weight and you have osteoarthritis, it's not only beneficial for symptoms, but likely also for structure. And so for every body mass index unit, or for the average weight person, about three kilograms, your risk of developing disease and or it progressing structurally is reduced by about 5% if you reduce weight by about three kilograms. There is a strong dose response relationship, basically suggesting that You know, any little bit of weight loss is good, but the more the better. And so, for example, if you were to lose about three body mass index units, so about nine kilograms for the average weighted person, your risk of either developing disease or progressing would be reduced by about 15%. And at a societal level, the effects appear to be even larger, suggesting that at least from a public health perspective, we should be making a much greater effort to ensure that this happens. So if you're left in any doubt, you're above a healthy weight and you've got osteoarthritis about the importance of weight loss, hopefully this has helped to reinforce the importance of that. Not only does it make a difference for your pain and function, but it also makes a difference to the underlying disease. I'm hoping this information is helpful for those of you who are out there who have this disease and are looking for ways to increase your knowledge about the disease and what you can do about it. So thank you again so much for your support to listening to this podcast. And between now and when we next have an opportunity to talk, please do take care of yourself.
0: Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at JointActionOrg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.